everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reading Party Podcast with Megan and Lexi. This episode continues our season looking at modern retellings of the Iliad and the Odyssey, ancient epics known for both brutal violence and instances of sexual assault. This episode is not suitable for under-18s. We hope you have your favourite beverage and snack ready to go, because we've got our teas and are ready to start spilling the tea on our latest ancient story. like to tell our listeners what you're drinking i can start us off i'm doing just classic twinings earl gray a fantastic choice i um i was contemplating mixing things up and then my body told me that no actually what i require is caffeine so i have my usual black english breakfast tea with milk i do for next time have some very nice um rubos tea with peach i had some of that last night as i was finishing uh ships up and it was it was very good so we might next time have something a little bit more interesting that's a solid choice but okay wait so so now that you've finished it what do you think oh gracious i wanted to wake all of my children up and just give them huge hugs <laughs> just hold a child um excellent absolutely excellent you were right pandora's pandora penelope's arc is great very much enjoy that and um you see because i think it's her and the trojan women are really the two um like the two stories that continually are returned to throughout the book and with Penelope you really see the passage of time through her eyes but then the kind of evolution of her very one-sided relationship with Odysseus because obviously he's not there and you don't get his his thought and the relationship as a whole but you see how she starts out as obviously missing her husband please come home um it was so clever of you to try and, and dodge the draft in this way and it it kind of keeps going and keeps going and she's recounting the stories of of his travels and getting more and more pissed you were fighting for 10 years you had to be fighting okay you know I'm, i've come to terms with that that's a thing you had no choice over but what the hell are you doing and who is calypso by the way has she like forgotten that you have a wife already have you forgotten maybe that you have a wife already um and you see also the change in her attitude towards his like his schemes and she always thinks he's clever all the way through but towards the end it's a little bit more look i know what you're like but really come on now this is this is verging on arrogance you're staying away you're doing these things just essentially to say you have and you've forgotten that I'm at home, I'm by myself, I'm raising our son. I'm essentially keeping a kingdom together. 
and you're off traveling to the underworld and being eaten by countless cannibalistic giants. And how many really can a one person realistically come into contact with during one voyage? One one was one was enough. Two is just overdoing things. And by the end, she's kind of she's so her last um her last contribution to the book is a prayer to Athena, thanking her for Odysseus' safe return. And she is kind of questioning whether it is Odysseus. Is this the man that she remembers? Is it maybe uh, a duplicate sent back by the gods? Or is it physically the same man, but he has been through so much that he's not the same person anymore? It's been 20 years and war and countless tragedies and he's lost all of his men and she's questioning whether he still has the same maybe view of of the sanctity of life because she says at the beginning you were willing to do all of these things or he was willing to do all of these things to avoid going to war and now i'm hearing these stories and these tales of how many men have essentially been sacrificed to his own sense of adventure and sense of um, kind of self-importance almost and she's saying is is this actually my husband who has returned or is this someone else now so it was a really interesting development to see and I think Natalie did an excellent job of capturing how people do change when they go through traumatic events both how penelope has changed because she's she's not a young woman anymore she's like middle-aged can't have any more children and has been alone and felt abandoned by her husband but also how odysseus has changed and how he's not the same person who left her when he went to the war i thought that was it was it was very very good what, what did you think of Penelope? Because this was one of the things that you flagged as something to look out for. I mean, I, I always love the Penelope sections. Um, I do, because I, I think Natalie's the one who said, when I like asked her pointedly about it, and she was just like, oh, yes, I was. I started writing, and I was fine, and I was fine, and then I got more and more cross, and then it just like devolved, and then I was like, ah, well, that tracks. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. I do love one of the Penelope sections, the Calypso section. Her personality really, really does sort of pop out because they're, you know, she's finally like, I, I love the pointed, did you forget you had a family? Okay, fine. And then I love how she talks about the suitors invading and wanting to succeed. But then it's, it's like she talks all about herself and then it's a very pointed, well, if you don't actually care that, you know, your wife is besieged, that's fine. But you have a son and he's in danger. So I thought it was interesting uh, for the Penelope chapter to, to take that tack. Um. It was interesting as well. Um, the very final one, her, her prayer to Athena, uh, not Athena. Yes, Athena. Sorry. Her prayer to Athena describing the battle of the suitors in Odysseus from her perspective was very interesting because when you read the odyssey obviously you don't get that you get she's in danger and that she'd held them off for as long as she possibly could and now she had no choice but she's she's pissed at him as 
I think I probably would be too. I've been waiting at home for you for 20 years. And you tell, what, the pig herder? And your son and your nurse that you're back and just kind of leave me out of the loop. Well, and I'd be pissed because there's a whole test. Like, he literally is testing her, being like, um, I've, I've, well, I've seen several, um, you know, like, like film representations where he's like, yes, we cannot let Penelope know I'm back. Nothing has to change. I, I need to, like, see if she's, like, still loyal after 20 years. And you're like, I, I mean, poor, you know, you, you don't hear from her perspective, but to have her finally be like, this is ridiculous. Like, if I waited this long, if you do you see me remarried, yeah, if if I was going to do it, it would have been done. Do you think I would have done it by now? Maybe, maybe like two years after you didn't return and everyone else's husbands had come back. Do you think maybe that would have been my cue? But no, I kept going, and you're you're just a dick. Yeah. Sir. Well, and then if you did reveal yourself to to your son, you could just say ask and be like hey so what's uh mom up to you know like do you have a stepdad yeah like you know what she'd been doing i mean all telemachus would have had to do is be like oh no she waited for 20 years um and they're kind of forcing her to try to pick one maybe go say hi yeah like oh and by the way she was um weaving a fake burial shroud for like 10 of those years so and you know doing trickery so i don't know yeah it was um I, like justice for Penelope, really, really though. Yes, yes, an apology I think would be a good place to start. I I guess it's because it's I was when I read the Penelope chapters, I think of other representations that I've seen, and I kind of do a comparison, and it's very interesting because usually it's either she's not in the scene in the picture you see Odysseus dispatching the suitors and if you get some scene after it's like just just big reunion so you either get like happy reunion because oh he's home and he just he saved me and and now my suitors are dead and so it skips everything to just i'm happy he's back or if you don't get that you'll just get the oh i'm so in danger um and i'm a bit frightened of his rage and then it, you know suitors die and then maybe it ends so um there's only like it's very one-dimensional i find most representations of penelope is either she is frightened but she knows that he is now home and the suitors are being killed or you just skip the frightened and the shock to i'm happy so i'm i'm very very happy that this was like no because this reflects her as like a real person like you know every time i i read the odyssey and i and i know what happens i'm just like okay and penelope is this unrealistic person who's kind of more like a an ideal or a dream rather than a real person so to have her be a real person um feeling the emotions that like i probably would rightly feel just anger being pissed all the time um that that really is 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 wonderful to see so i i just really loved it and i love how it, she was done through the whole book, really. Um, sensational. One of the best Penelope's ever. Yeah. It was excellent. And I really liked having Penelope and the Trojan women being that constant through the whole narrative. Because it gives you, as a reader, like a sense of stability and a sense of progression. And all the other little snapshots, snapshots 
are they're excellent but because they're usually only like in one or two parts i think if the whole book was comprised of those it would be a little bit um a little choppy and it may run the danger of being a bit incoherent but having that those two strands running through the whole thing i, I think worked very very well well i was kind of curious about that so now that you've also completed the book now how do you feel about the inclusion of penelope as one of the two main storylines that we do get to follow repeatedly rather than have helen occupy the space because she also would i think yeah i think it worked very very well because you have in the trojan women the people faced with the, the like the immediate effects of the war They've been physically there, they're living through it. They've lost their husbands, their sons, their brothers. So you get that um, very close connection. But then in Penelope, you have the effects of the people left behind. And she has a very close connection, obviously, because her husband's there. But it's the effects on her are much they're less immediate. Maybe she's not physically in danger except obviously towards the very end but that's not it, it's not the danger of the war she's not she's not in danger her home is not being invaded but she is still affected and still impacted by what's happening and i think having those two perspectives and those two experiences made it more of an interesting and more of a, a like a well-rounded book i think if it if this other thread had been helen I think there would have been a risk of of maybe telling the same stories um, and having finished it i I am with you. I'm kind of glad Helen wasn't included as one of the main storylines because she is she's always one of the main characters, regardless of how you tell the story because she is this central figure in the plot of the Iliad, even though, like, to some extent, she's a, she's a plot device rather than a character. But she turns up so frequently, and, and everybody thinks about Helen when they're telling the Iliad and when they're thinking of the Iliad. And, and I, I think having the focus be on other people worked very, very well. And having Helen not tell her own story, but have it told by other people in almost um, almost by accident. They're not setting out to tell the story of Helen, they're telling their own stories and where Helen intersects, she's mentioned and you piece it together yourself. I thought that was a very interesting method or strategy. I think it paid off very well. And um, I don't much like Helen. I don't think I've liked Helen in any of the adaptations we've watched or read. Um, this Helen was more, uh, maybe not mean, but like she had a much stronger character than I think all of the other previous Helens, except in Wrath Goddess, but I think we can discount that for now because of Helen is such a different person in Wrath Goddess. But it, this, this version of the mortal Helen is... Um, a much stronger character than I think any of the others. She's absolutely unapologetic in what she's done because as far as she's concerned, she genuinely had no choice. 
um, yeah, I thought it was a good a good choice. And you you have said that you thought it was um, a good way to do it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think like sometimes I wonder. I and I and I think it would be fantastic to see what Natalie could have done with Helen, just because she's so witty, because her writing is amazing. Like. I kind of was like, well, I wish there was maybe not like a like a through line with her the way that Penelope was, but even even like a small chapter, a small snippet from her point of view might have been kind of fun to see. But I definitely don't think that like it's lacking. And, you know, I, I don't think that I don't necessarily think that the book would have been better with Helen. I just think it would have been different and and interesting to see. And, you know, maybe in the future she'll write something. With, with Helen in it um maybe not you know she's been so overdone that we don't really need another Helen thing but I just I think just for me enjoying Natalie's writing so much I would enjoy to see just what she would do uh with her but no I I yeah no ba basically I'm very happy that she wasn't included because we already don't like her um from all the other things we've looked at we already don't like her and so um I enjoy getting to see other people who we don't hear from very often. Um, like one I wanted to point out was um, we get that beautiful Polyxena chapter that she's like never talked about. So, um, you know, we got her. Uh, we got a we we got a Gaia chapter. Like no one, you know, like for the normal person, like what would you do with Gaia in something like this? Um, you know, it's yeah, it's not a very long chapter. Um, but it was it was gorgeous, and it talks about like, you know, her feeling about you know what people are doing like on her earth, basically. I you know, um, it's it's beautifully written. Um, I don't know. Did did some of the the other sort of smaller um, characters uh, and did any stick out to you? Because uh, there's obviously so many main ones that we're gonna get into, but mm. um, for the smaller ones, I really I really enjoyed how Eris was written. Mm -hmm. It was it was a very interesting way of characterizing her as clearly like remembering and recounting these events that she has been the cause of or like the the catalyst for but she doesn't seem to be clear as to whether she was there if she actually caused the troubles that she's remembering or if if it just kind of happened and she heard about it afterwards and and clearly she caused it just by by being there she said, like she remembers vaguely being in in Aries bedroom and uh, not Aries bedroom in Hephaestus bedroom but it's not because of her that everyone starts arguing because she doesn't remember if she was there for that specific event she just remembers the bedroom in general i thought that was really interesting um and and well done and she's fun she is and it's we don't often hear from her we hear about her never you're always like she's just the sad girl left out of the wedding because oh no her pre her very presence causes discord as the goddess of discord so it would make sense you don't want her at a wedding so all you like any artistic representations um it's always like Eris with the wings, with the like mean face, with the apple that she's either carrying or throwing or has thrown into the middle of the goddess. And you see her either fleeing or watching the scene. So all you really see of her really is that she's 
pissed and this is her revenge for being excluded and there's no personality other than well she's just pissed so obviously she's going to do this nasty trick so to have a chapter written from her perspective where you give her more is refreshing yeah and and where you you don't even see that event you see everything leading up to it you see her like going to olympus to find everyone because she's lonely and bored by herself and you she like recounts a couple of different episodes that she doesn't really seem to understand that she had a hand in but you know that she did and then she finds the apple and the end of it is is essentially her saying she knew what she was going to do with it and she wasn't going to keep it and it just it stops there uh and i it was it was a really interesting way to capture her character without going over an event that we'd already seen happen from someone else's point of view she yeah i enjoyed that chapter it was it, i thought it was very innovative mm -hmm. and i actually really liked how her chapter came after the goddesses chapter so even if you didn't come into this book with a previous knowledge of anything um the book by by reading it uh, chronologically you already know what happens with it so i thought that was a really clever idea to not have it happen sequentially so you get the end result with her beautifully written goddesses her childish goddesses and then you have eris equally sort of you know um fun coming in and then you're like oh this is so fun now i see why how y you put it together and you're like this is amazing mm -hmm. um did, what, who was your like favorite minor character was it gay or, or did you have a different one mm, hard because eris usually is my fate is my favorite but i always think whenever i read it that um I'm I'm challenged because I, I want to choose Oinoni because of just, she's not one of the more fun ones per se, you know, she's not written playfully, but like her story and the fact that like you finally are giving Alexander Paris, whatever they call him, a taste of his own medicine. Like, like to me, that's the chapter on like the sweetest revenge possible because she's just in this position to be like, no, I'm not going to help you. No, I don't feel like it. Bye. Y you know, like, um, so, so I, I just love that chapter. And she's definitely a woman we don't hear from. Uh, often she's just left out. Yeah, she's like left out completely in a lot of things. And um, I'm surprised how many people just don't, don't even know that she was someone. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I do really like her inclusion in the book as well i think hers is the only chapter where paris actually appears he's like he's the only the only one where he's physically present and he's talked about in others but this is he's actually there and he's very unlike yeah because it, honestly like who would really because it, it makes sense when you think like okay well who does he interact with? who would he interact with and it's like helen or aphrodite but aphrodite we hear before the war so he wouldn't be there and then we don't have helen so um everyone is just like um affected by him and his actions but they don't really interact i mean i suppose maybe with the trojan women but like that he he the timeline that they're on clearly after it's all done um they're more concerned about the deaths of the people who died and then their immediate futures so he doesn't he's not really relevant to that either so um 
yeah, I kind of appreciate how he's really left out. And then when he is put in here, it's to get justice for Oinoni. So I'm like, yes. Um, oh, he's in the, the scene with the goddesses as well. I mean, I about yes. But, but again, like... It's not really about him. He's just standing there. No, it, he he just happens to be there. And it's more the goddess's dialogue. Exactly. So, no, I, I really love her inclusion in the book. She's one of my favorites um, right there with Eris. I don't know. Is there anyone you wanted to point out as well? Or is that kind of... Are those two also sort of standouts? I... Cassandra and Clytemnestra's sections... I thought were also very well done. Uh, and again, it, it's something, this book does something that I think Fall of a City also did very well, and that is to give you like, surrounding information from the characters' different backstories. And, but it, they're kind of, they're complementary because they give you different characters' backstories. So we get a lot, obviously a lot more of the women in in ships and um like you see why Clytemnestra no not Clytemnestra you see why Cassandra is not believed by anyone and why she's cursed the way that she is in her own chapter and then in Clytemnestra's chapter you kind of see her and you see her ending and you see her get a resolution in some level of peace and Clytemnestra is she's one of my favorite characters from tragedy I love I love the Oristaya and Clytemnestra's chapter is just fantastically written and very compelling and taken right from the the pages of tragedy and it's satisfying right and Natalie gets her satisfaction and her um relief almost at having avenged her daughter she gets that across very very well um while at the same time not disguising the fact that this is going to cause problems going forward because you have Electra and Orestes who are Agamemnon's children and they then go on and, and avenge their father so you know that even though Clytemnestra has avenged Iphigenia and she has a measure of peace that it is their own family tragedy is not going to end there. We're just seeing a snippet of it. And then Orestes pops up um, later on in, in Andromache's chapter. And it was it was excellent. And it's not a story that you see often. I think that's kind of the recurring theme in Ships. She really has given a voice and given page space to characters who are often either overlooked or ancillary and this gives them a place for their stories to be heard and does an excellent job I think on kind of widening the scope of what exactly the Iliad is and who it affects and and actually what it means to be a hero and if you read the afterwards that Natalie puts in ships. She said a friend of hers read the read the manuscript and then kind of came back with the response, well, these women aren't heroes. They're not heroes in the way that like Odysseus or Achilles are heroes. And and Natalie's written response is, well, 
Achilles spends nine years of the war sulking in a tent, but we have no problem calling him a hero. Why is it that his very brief bout of warfare is heroic, but all of these women's 10-year-long struggles, 20 years in the case of Penelope, why aren't they worthy of recognition and praise in the same way? Uh, which I think is, is a very poignant thing to remember when you're reading when you're reading these kinds of, of mythologies and, and epics. She really did do an excellent job of commemorating those who are forgotten. Yeah, no, totally agree. And that is one thing I did want to mention for anyone who, I, I will admit that a lot of times I skip uh, some introductions and some like afterwards in books um, or I skimmed them um, but this is definitely one where I read it straight through because it's it's very good I mean everything that is written in this book should be read is worthy of being read um, I actually did I, I the first time I read this I read it all the way through all the way through the afterward and then I asked a friend who had also read the book and she skipped the afterward and I was like no you can't do that stop yeah, go read it. Um, and then she was glad she she did. So, um, but yeah, because it just it gives more context to you know how she conceived, why she wanted to write the book, just some some insights. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it feels really good to hear from women women that get their story told through the male perspective, or basically just don't don't play a role. I mean, they're just kind of there. Um, and I agree. I mean, I love the Cassandra and Clytemnestra chapters. Um, probably Clytemnestra more just because, well, she's Clytemnestra. And then it hit it hit so hard because I decided to do this really fun thing where when I was traveling around Greece and I was going to Mycenae, uh, I know they have the tomb of Clytemnestra there. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to the Clytemnestra chapter as I'm walking around the site. And then I'm going to walk into her tomb as I'm listening to her chapter. Um, and it made it such a powerful experience because I was like, yes, girl, justice for all the women. I mean, honestly, like that should be, to me, that's my like secondary title of the book, Justice for the Women. Um, because so many chapters, they get their sweet revenge or they get, you know, all the feelings out that like a normal woman would have. So um, yeah, I just like, I, I was like, I want to make a t-shirt of this book that just says justice for the women by like Natalie Haynes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, but honestly, I think a lot of what makes the book so special is Natalie's own writing. I, I mean, I come back to it every time, which is, you know, if you'd given another writer the same format, you've to, like told them, okay, these are all the women and this is how you're going to do it. Like go. Um, it could have had the potential to be very different, not nearly as emotional, as fun and witty. And so this is very, to me, a, a very unique um, book. She's very good in, in, at using a small amount of words and a small amount of pages to actually get you to really care about a character. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's probably very hard to do. I'm not a writer. Mm -hmm. But I think that's very hard to do because you have to build this relationship between the reader and, and the character and she does it excellently, absolutely excellently. Even even the characters who only have a few pages, like you care about them, you you are sad for the things they've experienced and, and if they do find some measure of relief 
or peace, then it's you feel glad for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I like totally agree. Um, I don't know. I just I I've <laughs> run out of good things to say about the book other than I love it so much. But um, I did since I made a big deal out of it uh, in the last episode. I did want to know. What did you think of the big emotional, like, basically ending with Andromache? Yeah, that was... It was a lot. Um, so Andromache is, is given to Neoptolemus, who is the son of the man who killed her husband. And earlier in the book, you, you know that she's had her child removed from her and killed and that sequence by the way it's I mean, it's it's always heartbreaking just because of the the material but having andromache say please let me smother him let him die in his mother's arms rather than being hurled off a building was just i mean perfect because if if your child has to die then yes let it be in a place where they are loved and happy but then the absolute cruelty of not letting that happen you're not only killing her son you're refusing to do it in a way that would give anyone any measure of peace that was a lot but but wasn't that also the the actual astyanax part wasn't that in, i think it was in a trojan women section i don't think it was no it yeah it was it happened before we get andromache's like her own personal section yeah and but but i did find that section also interesting because even before they're like no just kill him um she begs and i found it really interesting for her to to, to have her be like oh i will raise him poor and like a you know random he'll be a cow herder he'll never hear the name of his father i'll tell him his father was a coward literally i will do whatever you want me to do to let this child live and they're like no absolutely not it's just we got a glimpse of that in fall of a city where she begs a bit and is like no I'll, I'll raise him you know and just like tell lie about his father but like this one gave like a whole heft to the begging because she, she includes a lot more she tried everything and then she said because the response to i'll tell him his father was a coward was well everyone is going to talk about hector the bards are already singing about him he is going to know that you're lying and said well i i won't be andromache andromache will stay here on the shores of troy i will take literally any other name you give me who cares what a slave is called and the response is well your owner cares because the name of andromache is important and owning you as a slave gives your owner status and it's just it's so perfect because it absolutely encapsulates the um like the arrogance that the majority of the men in this book display and complete disregard for really anyone's lives or feelings except their own this nameless person's status is more important than andromache keeping a child and the the life of the child and it was it was well written and it was awful to read 
Yes. I mean, and Natalie in the audiobook is, you can tell how emotional she is when she would like, I'm pretty sure there's like a, a minor voice crack in there. And, 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 you know, I'm sitting here and I'm just like, oh, there, there it goes, there it goes. Um, and then there was me, you know, oh, there I go. Um, but yeah, so and I found it interesting to include the Ustayanax part in Trojan Women instead of Andromache's own section. Um, so I guess, yeah, for Andromache's own section sort of after this, um, and they take her away, you know. It was it was good to read it because, again, so much of what you get through the Iliad and through retellings of it ends with the fall of the city. And this gives you a glimpse into the rest of her life as an enslaved woman living as the concubine of a man who killed her husband, or a man whose father killed her husband. She has a child with this man. And it kind of, it, it draws you through her grief and then her very slow recovery from her grief and then her very conflicted feelings about being pregnant and how almost ashamed and angry she is to be having a child with this particular man. But then also how being pregnant kind of gives her something precious that's hers so just really anything that's hers and kind of something to live for again and you see it's it's not it's a long it's a long chapter for this book but it it describes a very long period of time in quite succinct, succinct details so you see her relationship with Neoptolemus evolving and changing and he gets married to Hermione who's Helen's daughter and still comes back to Andromache as like his source of comfort which was weirdly sweet. It's conflicting right? It, it really is yeah. Because she starts hating him and then once she has the second child who, uh, like, that's her only child now, uh, she's kind of like, well, I, I kind of have to tolerate him because father, child. And then she, I don't know, did you get the sense that she sort of started to maybe like him or was it like a, like a tolerance? I, it felt much more like a tolerance to me. Uh, she doesn't, cause, because at, at the end... There's a scene where they're in bed together and he talks about killing Polyxenia and how this is the death that haunts him. And Andromache is furious inside, like not cutting down my father as he, or my father-in-law as he pled for his life at the altar of Zeus, not killing my child, like hurling my infant off the walls. No, it's this woman, my sister-in-law, who she loved very much but also why is this the death that haunts you you moron and you you find out it's because she went to her death willingly and gladly and he's like why why would she do that and andromache explained well because for her going into slavery was worse than death and he asked did you feel the same way and she said i did but but i have my son now and that was it was a nice kind of a gentle slap in the face for this man who had done so many horrible things for her to be actually no for the women you captured this actually was a fate worse than death to live with you 
and to serve you, we we would have rather died as it happens. Uh, and it's clearly not the answer he was expecting. So you, you kind of see that tolerance, but I feel if she had actual warmth for him, she maybe would have phrased that exchange a little bit differently. But but then he he is killed by Orestes and uh, Andromache goes to marry um, Cassandra's twin brother, whose name eludes me. I don't remember. But then she's 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 not a slave anymore, and she's kind of uh, kind of back to being royal because they found their own city, and and her son grows up. And towards the end of the chapter, you get this wonderful kind of blurring of the lines between her children. She says sometimes when she looks at him, she sees a Steinax. And it it feels like despite her own tragedies, she finds some closure and some small happiness in being able to live her life free with her son. Yeah, I do like how I mean, because she's such a she's such a tragic character. I mean, I one of the most tragic characters um, in the Iliad. So um, I did like how she did find some measure of like, like basically, you know, when I think of how some people are like the well, when tragedy strikes, you have to find some measure of happiness, whatever you can find, and like hold on to that. And like I like how it's written in a way where it very much feels like she did like. Her love of her life, husband, prince of Troy, was killed. Her son was literally thrown off the walls. Um, but then she gets redemption in terms of she gets another child. She goes from hating her husband to sort of, okay, fine, whatever. You know, I still don't like him, but um, I've accepted it. And then... And then when he's dead, then she kind of gets to be royal again. And she has a surviving child who she does get to see grow up. Um, so, yeah, I do like how it's presented as a pretty much like a full arc after Troy. Um, and it's, it's kind of it's clear reading her that the, that trauma never actually goes away. No, she lives with it and never heals. Yeah. And it's. It feels very real, but it's an acceptance of trauma. Yeah, because how do you how do you heal from that kind of trauma? I, I'm not sure you can, but she finds, like you say, she finds a way to be happy and and to live with what has happened to her. So even though it's clear that a Steinax kind of haunts her, it's a happy haunting, maybe, because she he doesn't leave her even though he's not there and he's obviously dead he it, he's still with her somehow it's a long chapter it's not the longest in the book but i find it so incredible that we get this much depth into her and we can feel all these different things reading her emotional story of you know it, it, she's like a phoenix right she like died everything was burned to the ground literally and then she kind of rejuvenates and revives herself and she gets another child and she ends up full circle, kind of royal to poor and slave and then royal again. So um, 
it's and in the audiobook version i think it takes about it's like a 20 minute chapter to listen to so it is always astounding to me that in the space of 20 minutes i can read a full arc with a fully developed fleshed out person and feel so strongly about her and i think that's astonishingly amazing because i know some writers it would take them a whole ass book to just um achieve what natalie has achieved in 20 minutes so um yeah i just i i and i also love how it's basically the last true chapter of the book i mean the last one is um a, a small little thing of uh you know calliope but um no i thought it was kind of poetic to have a full circle journey rejuvenation um and and i found it quite healing you know i don't live with the same trauma that obviously andromache went through and i'm so happy that i don't but as you're taking on her journey as you're listening to her story or reading her story you know you do feel like you've gone on this emotional traumatic journey with her in in a way and which i found really really powerful and so i can get shades of sort of her trauma and her journey and so to to go on it at the very end and um whether or not you've had her kind of trauma or not um if you've had some kind of thing it's it's quite um i i don't know it was, it was quite cathartic for me i guess um because thinking of any kind of past trauma i've had whether it's you know big or small um just having the whole arc of her accepting her trauma and her being like well i'm a survivor a strong survivor um reading that was just so good um because you can apply it to anything really in your own life and you're like oh my god this is like so fitting so i don't know i i could wax eloquently on why i think this is like the perfect last chapter for the book it really is it really is i can't think of another character that it would have been better to end yeah because i want to be like i mean you know i i get like if we had to pick who else from the book that we've seen who else might have been a fitting end? Inoni, I think, would have worked as a final... It would have given the book a very different feel, I think, because it's such a short chapter. And I like, I don't think you could extend that chapter. I think it works as a short one, but that, that would have been a, an okay ending. Maybe Penelope, yeah. Yeah, Penelope, maybe. Um, yeah, that, that, that might have... Um, that would have again had a very different ending like if you just move her sort of prayer to athena about you know who's coming home would have given it a quite different feel um i think it would have been good but um you can't change perfect in my opinion and to me this was perfect it, it was ideal it really was excellent book who were you disappointed that wasn't included huh <laughs> so well well i'm i'm going to say um you know, uh, oh, that's such a hard one, though, because there's so many people that I'm like, they could or couldn't have gotten their own chapter. And and it's funny because actually I, I was able to ask Natalie, um, would you have put, um, who did I ask? Her? Oh, no, wait, now I'm forgetting who I asked her. I think I asked like Medusa or something. And she was like, no, 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 like I could have put her in, but no, like she 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 like at the time that i talked to her which was circa 
early 2021 i want to say she was basically like i have bigger plans for her so no she wasn't um no who there was someone i did ask her though um i can't remember i will if i remember it later i will bring it up again but um i kind of liked it. i mean other than helen because as i said i think it would be interesting to hear from helen um I mean, maybe one of the other goddesses, like, no, I don't know, because it's just, I, I really like how it's done the way it is, so I don't, if anything, I might have split up the Trojan women chapter a bit and had... Had their individual stories earlier. Yeah, maybe, but no, I really... I find it to be just a very well-rounded book that I think the only character that I wanted to see and I I understand like I I feel I understand why she wasn't included and I think it it would have run the risk of being repetitive but Hermione because she was she was an interesting character in Fall of a City and it would have been interesting to see how Natalie took her. But having said that, there are an awful lot of mother-daughter pairings throughout the book. Like we hear from Iphigenia, we've got Polixenia and Hecuba and Clytemnestra and Cassandra. And there's a lot of those kinds of relationships in there already. I mean, I think it would have been fun to see what she would have done with the, like, what does Hermione think about her mother essentially abandoning her and just been you know so that would have been i could see where that would be really fun to be like and my mother left or and my or depending on like what menelaus had told her you know and my father said that my mother was kidnapped you know like that would have been an interesting chapter to include but yeah um it's 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 one of those the book doesn't need it and I don't think it loses anything by not having it. But for my own personal interest, I would have enjoyed that. Yeah. There are so many women in mythology generally that I'm like, I want to hear Natalie retell this story. So, But to fit in this book, I think it's, it's, it's really good the way it is. And other than Helen, who, again, would have just been fun because she's so central. I'm, I think it's pretty great on its own. No, it's, it's a fantastic book. And speaking of things we want to see Natalie do, I want a Minotaur story from her. <laughs> from the women. I Well, that's the thing. I was like, I want, um, I want Ariadne. All of them, in fact. Just all of, all of the mythologies. Yeah, because I was like, I want, I want another book and I want it to be Arachne, like Ariadne, Medea. Right? Like, I just want all of them. Yes. So, God, I love Medea so much. I know. So I'm like, I want a Medea story from Natalie. I, I, I want all the women, like, from Natalie. Like, she just needs to write on every. Like, I'm so happy that she's done Medusa now. So for those listening, um, Ships came out in 2020. And so her new book, Stone Blind, is all about Medusa. And it's coming out soon. I don't know exactly when the release date is, but it's coming out soon. And... Um, I'm so excited to read what she's done with Medusa, but I mean, there's so many other women who I think Natalie could 
have so much fun with. And that's a great thing. When you when you choose classics and mythology as your subject matter, you're never going to run out of good material. There's so much stuff. So much stuff. And the thing the thing with mythology is especially silly to say especially ancient texts mythology is all ancient texts one of the things that is often lamented is how much we've lost and generally speaking i am right there with the lamenters it's a tragedy but at the same time i feel like it gives a certain freedom to people like natalie who are taking the bare bones that we have and creating something whole from them and I am really interested to see what happens with Medusa because she's one of those, we have little fragments here and there, but not everything. And I think she's going to do an excellent job. How could she not? I mean, like, I, I just like, she is one of those authors where I am consistently so excited to see what she does. Um, because I know it's going to be good. Uh, I know I'm going to enjoy it. And yeah, like I just, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm so excited for all of her future works. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, you know, um, she, what did she do? She did in 2021, she released Pandora's Jar. Which is next on my to read list because that looks. Yeah. But that one's nonfiction. So it's, it's, it mixes a lot more like contemporary views in. So if you're looking for like pure fiction, the way Ships is written, Stone Blind is the next one up. But we do get um, some women are repeated from Ships that she goes into greater detail, like um, Penelope's in there. Um, but you get like Pandora, you get Jocasta, you get more Clytemnestra. Um, I think. There is a Medusa chapter, but obviously it's not just a fictionalized thing. Um, who else was... What is? Oh, Eurydice. Eurydice. So, there's so many... That, yeah, I need to read that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely need to it's read that. It's really good. And there is a chapter on Medea in Pandora's Jar. I'm loving this. I'm absolutely loving this. Yes. I know. I know. I love everything that this woman produces. It's just fantastic. And, and there is actually a Helen section in pandora there we go it fills it fills the very small wants that mm -hmm. we had yeah i mean again it's not like a fictionalized thing the way ships is so you definitely if you're expecting ships going into pandora you might be disappointed but not really because it's still brilliant it's still natalie um but yeah much more contemporary uh, i loved what she did with pandora itself and talking about how the you know like the popular myth of her evolved from like it was a jar, a pithos, but we call it Pandora's box. And it's like, where do we get the whole box idea? Um, so it's it's really interesting in the reception of her and, um, you know, placing her in there with the Prometheus and Epimetheus. It's brilliant. Everything she produces is brilliant. So I will say it now and again and forever always. Everyone needs to just read everything this woman has ever written because um, it's amazing. And yeah, like love her i think it i think it's safe to say we are absolutely fans of natalie haynes. i am the ultimate natalie haynes fangirl yes <laughs> like we need a club lexi is president of her newly formed fan club so when i talked to her i learned that she loves knitting just as much as i do so i proposed i said <gasps> we need to start 
a Greek mythology knitting club where I get to just knit with Natalie. And she was like, let's do it. Yes. I'm so there. So I was like, we'll drink yes. tea and knit. So like, can I come? Yes. Join. Because I also knit. Yes. Knit, drink tea, eat. Amazing. You know. And listen, listen, Natalie can just like sit there and read her stories. Exactly. Too. See, it's perfect. It's perfect. Regale us. It's perfect. It's speaking of Natalie, next episode, we are going to be talking to her about ships which i am very excited about you have spoken to her a couple of times already and i have not and everything like i actually went back and, and listened to your ancient office hours episode with her thoroughly enjoyed myself i was building uh, building some bookcases and was like i'm just going to put this on and listen and it was wonderful she's fascinating so i'm very much looking forward to that episode what question do you want to ask her i know you've had two Troy, two uh, rounds of this already but there is there anything that you you didn't get to ask her last time and you really wanted yeah actually um because you know i hadn't like i'd i'd read and obviously now i've listened multiple times to it um but i never approached it in the with the analytical eye that i need to have especially when we're doing you know reading party now where i get to really sort of look at things more deliberately um which is another reason i'm so glad that um we're doing this podcast because i really did want to analyze so many things that i just paid a you know cursory attention to so i i need to go back actually and listen to my own interviews with her because i don't remember what i asked and i don't want to repeat myself but i don't think i asked her specifically about uh the the amount of thought she put into the organization of her chapter damn it that's my question <laughs> so we're on the same wavelength i love it okay no it's perfect okay no it's perfect i will choose a different question i will let you ask for that one <laughs> we'll just we'll just like have to time ourselves and very carefully say the question at the same time and it's going to be a little bit spooky uh Yes. No, that's that's absolutely what I want to oh, ask. Oh, okay, to. great. No, I will choose something differently. Because, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no shortage of questions. But um, yeah, I don't know, you know, because we could, we could, there's so many different angles we could take, you know, why did you choose to exclude Helen? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that she's been asked that a bunch of times. But um, we could ask that, you know, there's so many different things. But um, or, or I suppose, um, you know, I could always ask about uh, the differences between why she felt that she could include a main character in Pandora, but not have, or why does she have the same character in both, you know? So um, obviously I could ask that because I've read both. You haven't read Pandora yet, so I could do that. Um, I could do comparison. I don't know. Uh, we we, um, we have a bit of time um, before we have to ask her but i'm i'm just excited to talk to her because she's so funny um i guess i could ask her about the length of chapters you know why did you feel like like because some of the smaller characters you don't they don't have much so you, they do need to be shorter um but i could ask you know why did like laudamia she had and we didn't talk about her at all but she had quite a substantial chapter uh, which was excellent. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I could ask about the length decisions of some of the chapters as well. I don't know. There's so many, there's too many things to ask her about this 
wonderful. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. I know. I'm so excited. The ultimate fangirls. Fangirl. We're going to, I hope everyone knows, we're just going to be like fangirling through most of the episode. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be sickening. Yes. It's like, <laughs> hopefully it'll also be interesting, but you know. Yes. Just prepare yourselves. Yes. It's going to be a lot of, we love you and we love everything you write and you're amazing. Yes. Wonderful. Oh, we should ask her to bring tea so we, we can. So I, I want to learn what tea does Natalie Haynes drink when she's either writing or thinking about her next great novel or, you know, just sitting at home knitting. We're going to find out she doesn't drink tea. <laughs> she Come on. She's British. Are you kidding? Like, uh, it's assumed all Brits drink tea in some capacity. I mean, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe that should be my big, bold question. Natalie, what is your favorite tea? And how did that influence your writing of ships? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know what? Oh my gosh. Maybe I should ask her about how she in, uh, envisions her book being optioned as like a TV show or something and who she would, you know, what she would do about that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that. I'd love to see this book as a TV show or something. Oh God, me too. Me too. And who would be cast to play all the, the characters as well. Oh, all the different roles. Yeah. Uh, I could say, I could just go on and on about why I love this, but I won't because it, it'll it get even more sickening than it probably <laughs> is. Well, we will, we will end this here and everyone can join us next week to talk to Natalie. Yes, for sure. Okay. Well, and hopefully be as excited as we are. Yes. Oh, she's always excited though. She's amazing. But uh, yes. Okay. Well, Everyone, I hope you have enjoyed uh, part two of Thousand Ships and uh, join us next week when we talk to Natalie. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on social media at The Reading Party Podcast. If you'd like to leave us a book or movie suggestion, then email us at thereadingpartypod at gmail.com. See you next week. Mm -hmm.